Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. All right, sizzling summer. It's not just the weather. How many people are looking forward to 97 degrees on Tuesday? Yeah, I don't know. It might be the shirts I'm wearing that's bringing it on. I'm not really sure. Okay, I'm just kidding. But I am trying to blend in with Mitchell at the coffee bar. Got all my summer shirts going right now that my wife ordered for me last year off of Amazon. I wore, uh, my wardrobe is really filled with two different kinds of shirts. Um, uh, my name is Derek. I'm the lead pastor here, by the way. If you're new, you're like, who is that guy talking about his shirts? That's uh, welcome to celebration. Uh, I pretty much have a closet full of dress shirts, long sleeve dress shirts and golf polos. And so uh, now that it's summer, I was wearing those into the office and, and some of our staff was like, do you play golf this morning, pastor? I was like, no, I was in here like eight o'clock or whatever. But my, my, my closet, it's got two things, long sleeve dress shirts and golf polos. And so uh, now that it's summer, I, I try to wear that. But you also, I have about six of these fun shirts. So middle of July, you'll see this shirt again. It's going to be awesome. And I uh, look forward to that. You can be as excited about it then as you are now. But uh, wow, sizzling summer. So great. Last week was Pentecost Sunday and uh, just such a great time that we had so many people filled, baptized, filled completely full with the Holy Spirit. And uh, also people were healed last week. I thought that's just a great testimony. But how many people will believe with me that we're not at the end of what he's doing. We're at the beginning. Amen. We're still on the front end of all that he has for us. And we're just opening our lives for any good gift that he has for us. Amen. Uh, I received a gift from, uh, we had a, a new couple come to the church a couple weeks ago. They were only 90 years old. And, uh, they said, uh, they came to the second service. They said, well, pastor, do you have any old people in the church? I was like, no, but we got some that have been here a little bit longer, but most of them come to the first service. And, uh, so anyway, they, uh, but they, he gave me a book that I read this last week about his parents' story. So he's 90. This is about his parents. And, and I thought it was interesting because it was going back to a move of God at the turn of the century, millennia, whatever, like 1900 back in there. And, um, said that the pastor, their pastor didn't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit or divine healing. And he made it quite clear in some of his sermons However, in a short time, this pastor received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and then things began to change. <laughs> he said it was necessary that he use prescription glasses that were very prominent, and at the end, at age 10, his eyes were injured in a firecracker accident, and then miraculously, the Lord healed his eyes. Therefore, he decided not only was the baptism in the Holy Spirit for today, divine healing was as well. How many people know that when God does a work in your life, you can't help but get excited about it and tell other people about it? So cool. Well, it's so great to be with you. We're starting this sizzling summer series. Uh, also, be in prayer. We got a group that's leaving with Pastor Trevor to the Denver Dream Center right after second service, and they're driving 12 hours to get there, and they begin work helping the homeless, those who are stuck in addiction, and just a, a great time. We're going to pray that they will have fruitful ministry, but that also they will receive a great work from the Lord. There's something that happens when we go and we serve other people. We dedicate our time away from our normal routine, our normal activities, and we give to other people. There's something that happens. 
happens in us. We pray that the ministry is fruitful, but we know that we come back different. Amen. So pray for Pastor Trevor and the whole team that's going, each person that they would uh, stay safe, they'd be healthy, that they would receive supernatural strength for the task that they are ahead. Amen. All right, 1 Kings chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you could turn there. And if you're able, would you stand to your feet this morning for the reading of God's word? Sizzling summer, so excited to preach this. Each week might be a little something different, but uh, we've got a few awesome guests that we share, but it's still mostly me. Some of you are disappointed about that, but here we are, 1 Kings chapter 8. Pastor Vicente's excited that it's mostly me, but anyway, here we are, 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 10. I'm going to read most of the chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses here this morning. Welcome to those watching and worshiping online with us. We think it's just a great day for you to worship with us. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 10, the Bible reads like this, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Remember back in January, we talked about holy smoke and just there's something about the presence of God. We, we read about that with um, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Azusa Street in 1906 there in Los Angeles, that, that the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory, the the presence of God was so thick that kids could play hide and seek in the sanctuary and you couldn't see them from one side of the room to the other. The presence of the Lord was in the place and the Bible says that, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest couldn't even continue ministering because of the cloud. That is the undeniable manifest presence of God. How many people are still believing together that we could see those kind of things today? The Bible says, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And that's my sermon title this morning. I want to talk about the house of the Lord. It goes on to say, Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. And I love this. Solomon said, I've surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Talking about the house of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great opportunity that we've been given, blessed here in this country to, to worship your son Jesus freely today. We lift high that mighty and matchless name of Jesus without fear of repercussion. And the one who's done so much for us, who's changed us, who's saved us, who's healed us, who's transformed us, that mighty name of Jesus. We give you thanks today. Holy Spirit, we ask, continue to be active among us all. Give us ears to hear what you're saying. May we leave different. May we leave more like you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. I love the way he ended that in verse 13, Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. He called the house of the Lord. He called it an exalted house. I underlined those words even on my own page, an exalted house. You know, I, I've heard a lot of people over the last few years, even pastors who've been talking about, well, we know the church is not a building and you can meet with God anywhere. And for the record, I agree with both of those statements. We understand that, that where we're gathered is it's brick and mortar and, and that we can meet with God anywhere. I, when I'm driving in the car, I can meet with God. When I'm at my house, I can meet with God. But I, I I just can't get all the way there because some people have begun to insinuate that church isn't important anymore or, or that, you know, I, maybe even more scary, I've heard it personalized and, and I've heard a number of people who claim to be Christians say, well, I don't need the church anymore. 
And, and it, like I said, it's true. I do meet with God in, in many different places, but there is something different for me when I enter the house of the Lord. This is not to say that our personal time with God is unimportant. It's a both and. We need to pray with God in our car. We need to read the word in our own home. But there is something additional. There is something about the exalted house that when we gather together, this is not like any other building in town. I mean, well, there are other churches maybe, but you know what I'm saying. It's different if you go to a twins game or if you go to the exalted house of the Lord. For one, I can tell you which house will always win, but that's a whole different Minnesota sports <laughs> tragedy, amen. You know, But uh, we're looking here at the rest of 1 Kings chapter eight, but I wanna remind everyone or, or just set the tone for the morning right, right off the beginning. And my heart is to encourage everyone to increase our expectation for when we gather in the house of the Lord. I shared this with Levi last night when we picked up our daughter from their house after a birthday party. I said, uh, it's not a message of condemnation. Like it's not saying at the beginning of summer, don't go on vacation. I wanna unequivocally say, go on vacation with your family. If you can't afford to stay, do a staycation with your family unplug from responsibilities, reset, recharge, all those kind of things. I want you, those are biblical to do it. And it's not about skipping those things, right? Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't forsake the assembling uh, as some are in the habit of doing. And I know a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians, we've read that with a lot of guilt tied to that, where it's like, oh, you never want to miss. You can't do anything else. I don't think that's helping anybody. I, I think those are rooted in fear and shame. And I just want to unequivocally say, you can go to heaven if you miss church. Amen. Some of you should have given a louder amen because you're fixing to, okay? But I'm just saying, like, but, but, but when available, when we can, let's, let's keep it as a priority because there's something about the exalted house. And maybe another way to say it, as, as I talk with our brothers and sisters around the world who are so hungry for the opportunity to worship freely, Many who worship in underground locations for fear of their lives. Many who meet in upper rooms as they turn the upstairs of their house into a place for believers to meet. Let's not become casual with things that are consecrated because they're so common for us. I know many of us in our lives will drive by a number of churches. What a great blessing. What a great privilege that we have in America that we have church choice. <laughs> Uh, I was talking with some of our missionaries and leaders in Africa, and they have one of these, uh, their, their goal for Africa is that we would have a church within walking distance of every African. And they're not there yet. <laughs> We're trying to help them with it. But that's their goal. Not just that they would have one church that they could go to. And we have the blessing, the privilege of church choice. So this is not to say, don't ever miss or anything like that. What I want us to say is, let's elevate our expectation. There was something tangible in the atmosphere last week as we gathered for, for Pentecost Sunday. There was something, even when we came for fun at, at serve night, it was like we all knew well, this is, wasn't just gonna be another time for dessert. We could get dessert anywhere, but there was something about being together. Let's increase our expectation for when we gather in the house of the Lord, amen? Right, the psalmist said it this way. He said, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. <laughs> I don't think the psalmist ever took the elevated house of the Lord for granted. So many Christians think of church selfishly now. They think, well, I don't need the church. And I wanna say maybe they don't. But friends, from my perspective, we, the church, need them. Yeah. 
Let me personalize it for you. You may not need us, but we need you. So let me, I want to talk about some expectations that we ought to have when we gather in the house. As we've received the ministry of the Holy Spirit last week and we pray that continues, let's look here in 1 Kings chapter 8 at this elevated house. What are some things that took place in the house of the Lord? So that when we gather on our drive in on Saturday night as we're preparing, what should we be expecting when we gather together. So I hope you got a note sheet. I got four things and, and then we'll pray again. But here's what we see. Number one, we see that this elevated house, the house of the Lord should always be a place of prayer. This is important, not just out of religious routine, but out of expectation that he will hear our prayers and he will answer our prayers. Let me continue to read verses 28 and 29. I don't know if these verses are going to be on the screen or not. There they are. Because uh, again, a lot of scripture, but we're a Bible church. So if you're new, welcome to Celebration. If you've been here for a while, you already know that. Somebody say, you got a lot of scripture, Pastor. Well, it's the living word of God. And so I can't imagine getting my direction from any other place. Amen. So 1 Kings chapter 8, verses uh, now 28 and following, we see about this place of prayer. He said this, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. This is important that when we gather, we have this elevated house that we've been blessed with, that we gather with an expectation that this would be a place of prayer. What did he go on to say in verse 29? That your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place. Notice the recurring theme. Yes, he will hear us from anywhere. Yes, we ought to pray anywhere and everywhere at any time, but there's something about prayers that are offered in this place. He says, toward the place which you've said my name shall be there. There's something about his elevated house. He said that you may hear the prayer which your servants make toward this place. I love that. That we ought to have this expectation when we gather. The very first thing, I think the most important expectation that we have an elevated expectation in our heart is that this would be a place of prayer. I think it's especially important for us in America to be reminded that without the help of God, without the hand of God moving on our behalf, what do we know? Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. I was so thankful last week after the services and God moved in such a mighty way. I'd made my way upstairs and there was a, a young man there and he said, Pastor, do you have a minute? I said, sure. I had my hands full. I was going, but, but I could just tell. Uh, and he said, could, could you have a moment to pray? How many people ought to, uh, how many people think we ought to know when we come to the house of the Lord, we ought to know that there's somebody there who could pray with us, that we could take a moment and we could pray together. I'm so thankful. You know, when I'm praying alone, I can pray for you. But when we pray together, I can pray with you. There's something different, friends. I don't care what another person or pastor said. There is something different about gathering together to pray with one another. Well, in just that moment, I kind of shifted some things into one hand and I put my hand on his shoulder and we began to pray together. But I'm telling you, friends, I'm not sure if you feel this when you pray with somebody else, but I could tell God was acting on his behalf. I could sense the presence of the Lord in that moment and I knew God was hearing our prayers. 
It happens when we gather, when we have this expectation in this elevated house. You know, when we call for pastors and prayer partners to pray for people, it's, it's not out of religious routine. It's not because we don't know what to do, but how many people know we actually believe that the Lord hears the prayers of those who pray to him. The Lord hears and he moves on our behalf. Here we read that God, you will hear the prayers toward this place. There's something about gathering together. And I just want you to, my, my encouragement to you as we kind of begin this summer series, let's increase our expectation that this would be a place of prayer. You know, we have a, a bunch of different prayer opportunities here at the church. I was talking with Pastor Vicente. We got a prayer chain. It's an email, you know, and uh, those will go out and we have people that are praying. We've got prayer gathering, of course, every Monday night up in the chapel. Awesome time for that to do that. Uh, we, we have noon prayer on Mondays as we've made Monday a day of corporate prayer and fasting. And uh, mostly that's the pastors because we have the blessing of working here and it's easy for us to just walk across the hall. Many of you, it's a little bit more difficult to join us, but I, we're believing that you're praying in spirit with us wherever you are, but we're praying for these needs. We got Tuesday morning intercessory prayer. Now it's most, it's, it's all ladies, but it doesn't have to be just ladies. It's intercessory prayer. It's not women's prayer. It just happens to be that it's women that come and intercede. Uh, and, and we got prayer in our staff chapels. Like this is a house of prayer. And I'm so thankful that we have seen God do what only he can do. Amen. But it's, we believe that prayer changes things. And we know that if it's big enough to worry about, then surely it's big enough to pray about. Because <laughs> I'm worried about many believers who've minimized the need for prayer. They've got it all figured out. They've, they've strategized, they've figured, they've met. Because when we minimize the need for prayer, what we're really doing is minimizing our need for God. Because if we don't pray about it, what we're saying to God is, we've got this without you. So let's be people of prayer, right? Jesus referenced this. There was some spiritual leaders who no longer felt like they needed God. They, they didn't need church to be a house of prayer. And in Matthew chapter 21, he confronted those religious leaders who had missed the point of the house of the Lord. They had neglected the purposes for the place and they instead turned it into a business of personal profit instead of a house of prayer, a place where people could meet. Jesus referenced Isaiah chapter 56 for this idea that, that Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Isaiah 56 and verse seven, he referenced it and it said this way in Isaiah chapter 56, verse seven, these I will bring to my holy mountain. Once again, notice that there's something significant about the place that he references. He says, I'll bring to the holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. That's, that's, you should receive joy when you pray. It doesn't mean you always get what you asked for but you should get what you need. You should receive joy in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So let me just say, when you're preparing to gather here at church with other believers, I'm just asking you as your pastor, would you come ready to pray for and with other people? You're like, I'm not a pastor prayer partner. Are you a Christian? Then I'm asking you, would you pray in advance? Like, like uh, for Sunday church, Saturday night, would you pray? Lord, would you bring me to somebody tomorrow who needs a prayer of blessing, a word of encouragement? Would you pray on your way? If you're driving here for Monday night, Monday afternoon, would you pray on your lunch hour? God, give me a word for someone else. Pray in advance and come with an ex elevated expectation that when we pray, God will hear us and act on our behalf. Can I get a good amen? amen. Number two. Right out of 1 Kings chapter 8, we see this about this elevated house. It says it's a place of forgiveness. 
I'm so grateful that when we come into the presence of the Lord, when we gather with the people of God, when we pray, he will forgive. This is a place of forgiveness. We'll continue reading. I'll just skip down a few verses to verse 33, 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 33. Uh, now you might want to read, if you're a Bible scholar, you want to read throughout the week. This is 1 Kings chapter 8. If you go to 2 Chronicles, like 5, 6, 7, there's more parallel explanation of similar activity here. So if you want to do some more reading, but I'm trying to stay all in one chapter for the sake of time here today. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 33 says, when the, your people Israel, notice he said they're your people, when they are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you. They were still the people of God, but they had sin in their lives and they suffered defeat because of it. When your people are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you, but I love this, notice this is the key, and when they turn back to you. When they turn back to you. Repentance requires turning back. Repentance requires a change of action. Require, repentance requires that we turn back. And the Bible says, and confess your name and pray, make supplication to you in this temple, then here in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave their fathers. Yes, we begin in prayer. We repent and are forgiven. I love those words and I wanna highlight them for the American church today, but specifically those of us who call celebration home, the key there is that they turn back to you. This is our key. This is our responsibility. Jesus paid the price for us, but the decision to repent, the decision to turn back to him is on us, right? We must choose to return to him. It's a personal decision. No one else can choose it for you. You and I must choose for ourselves. Now, having said that, and it is true that it's a personal decision, I think somehow unintentionally we have cultivated an individualistic framework for our relationship with God. Let me explain. Even the phrase personal relationship makes it sound like it's just between me and him. And the truth is when we read the scriptures, we don't find that to be evidenced whatsoever. It's a personal decision to follow him. But it's a corporate response, a corporate lifestyle that we live with one another. Only Pastor Vicente agrees with the preacher, but that's okay. I'm only in the middle of this point. I'll read from 2 Chronicles if I need to add more scripture to you here this morning, right? But this is what we see, right? It's an individual or personal decision to turn back to him, but our walk with Christ is expected to be experienced within the context of community. The more we internalize the personal nature of our faith, I think we have an unintended consequence of minimizing God's mission for our life because it's our personal relationship. When we focus on the personal relationship, we minimize Christian community and we make it a mere addendum to our faith and we reduce holiness to merely not sinning. There are realities that are only experienced in our Christian walk when we experience them together. This is what we read in the book of James chapter five and verse 16. He said, therefore, confess your sins to each other. 
Well, it's a personal thing. It might be for you to trust Jesus, but he says you need accountability. I need accountability in our lives. He says, confess your sins to each other. It's sizzling summer. I, am I yelling? I feel like I'm yelling. I don't, I don't want to be yelling. I'm wearing like cactus on my shirt. It's supposed to be a fun, it's sizzling summer though. So welcome to celebration. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. This is the point of Christian community. It's not to yell at the person, it's to pray with them and say, God's got better things for you. Don't throw your life away in this moment. Don't give in to the devil in this temptation. You were made for more than this. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who gives you strength. And you don't get that by yourself. You need one another. I need you and you need me. James chapter five, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Listen, friends, forgiveness comes from God, but accountability comes from others. We need each other. I've talked about this before. We need a circle of people that we can link arms with who will celebrate the wins with us and they'll mourn the defeats with us. Because we need people who will say, isn't God good when things are going awesome? And we need people who say, isn't God still good when things aren't going as awesome? We need each other. Let me just mention while I'm on the subject and I'm not yelling anymore, that forgiveness is only needed if sin has been committed. Therefore, we cannot minimize the realities of sin and mislabel sinful behavior as a simple mistake or oopsies or accident. Sin was and is a huge deal. Sin required death. Jesus paid that price for us, but it was very costly. And there's something so motivating for us as humans to confess to someone else, right? Confession, knowing that we will need to confess, helps us turn away from our sin once we've named our sin, right? And it helps bring healing to those we've sinned against if we'll fully confess instead of covering up. And by the way, that includes the consequences of our sinful actions. Amen. Got real quiet. <laughs> And the truth is in my own life, I'm sure you're far more spiritual than me, but I have found great motivation to avoiding sin if I know that I'll have to confess to someone else. I, I know all of you, it's just between you and God, but for me, I'm like, I needed to know in school, if I was gonna have to tell my dad that I got sent to the principal's office, <laughs> it required a little bit more sanctification in my life. Now, I know that we should avoid sin because we know it hurts the heart of our Father in heaven, but for whatever reason, sadly, many of us have little hesitation trampling upon his grace. But if we repent and if we turn back to him, we relinquish our wicked ways. The Bible says God will forgive our sin and bring us back into right relationship with him. We ought to expect that this is a place of forgiveness. Number three, it's also a place of provision. 
Amen. Three people thought about saying amen, but you weren't sure what God was providing. This is, he gives us what we need. Come on, somebody. Verses 35 and 36, place of provision. says, when the heavens are shut up. You can't say that, Pastor Derek. It's in the Bible. I said it. I didn't tell you to shut up. I said the heavens are shut up. And there's no rain because they've sinned against you. When they've prayed toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them. Listen to all those things, right? We don't skip to the good part. We pray, we confess, we repent, we turn, we're forgiven, and then we're blessed. So many people today, especially in America, just want to skip to point three. That ain't how it works. Notice what he said. When they've sinned, when they pray, when they confess, when they turn from sin, then you'll hear in heaven and you'll forgive the sin of your servants. Your people, Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk. There's a standard of holiness. There's a process of sanctification. We're becoming more like him. We're walking the way that we should. Then he'll send rain on the land which you've given to your people as an inheritance. When you're going through drought and you repent, you pray, you turn, he'll hear, he'll forgive, and then he will provide. Praise God. Notice he said, pray, turn from sin, be forgiven, and then receive heavenly provision. This is not a sermon point just on how to be happy and healthy. But friends, I can't deny the reality of God's word and the experience of my own life that when I pray, he hears. When I repent, he forgives. And when I'm in need, he provides. Here's an interesting thing that I need to highlight, which I'll admit will probably not cause as much excitement in Americans as I had previously hoped. The text says, then send rain, which is a great provision if you're in a drought. But notice he didn't say then change their bank account. Rain provided opportunity to work. You should have said amen when I first said provision because now I'm coming for you. You know what I'm saying? Here's what we see. Because of the drought, people had no opportunity to work hard. Because God provided the rain, now they had another choice. Will I get up? Will I go work the field? Will I put in the work that's required to capture the blessing that God has provided? Amen, Pastor Derek. I'm preaching now. I'm gonna keep moving though because it's only point three. All right, here we go. I got two more pages. Rain requires work. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. Thank you for the help in the back. Back row Baptist say amen too. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Raj. Okay, here we go. Second Corinthians chapter nine. I got lots of church jokes, people. Okay, second Corinthians chapter nine, verse eight. God is able to bless you abundantly. How many people are thankful for that? Amen. If you weren't thankful for that, you can live in not, en not enough, barely getting by and all that. But, but our God is a God of abundance. He says he's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, what? We will abound in every good work. In other words, we have to know what the more is for. It's a house, it's a place of provision, it's a place to meet our needs, but so that we can help meet the needs of others. 
We don't do good works to become saved, but we do good works because we are saved. Why? Because the greatest provision of all is the salvation of our souls. Jesus paid a price we couldn't pay. We were never going to be good enough or smart enough or do enough good things to earn it. But thanks be to God who provided for us the perfect sacrifice in his son Jesus. And because of that great provision, now we've been given everything we need to live a life of righteousness. Amen? Number four. Number four. It's also a place of sacrifice. Yeah, this is right there in 1 Kings chapter 8 talking about the exalted house. It's, it's an amazing place for the house of the Lord, for God to receive glory. But we see here at the end of the chapter that it's also a place of sacrifice. In other words, it's a place that will cost us something. Verses 62 to 64 read like this. Then the king and all Israel with him. There we read again about the corporate nature of the worship of the Lord. Everybody made a decision before they got there, but there was something about everybody getting together. The king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. There's something about the elevated house. It says on the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he burnt, offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of peace offerings. Look at this. Because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive all the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. I'm so thankful that here in the house of the Lord, it's a place of prayer, it's a place of forgiveness, it's a place of provision. But we ought to be equally as thankful that this is a place of sacrifice. This is maybe so important for our graduating seniors, you know, on this day as they're kind of entering adulthood-ish. You know, because if your parents are still helping you with college or your first job, it's ish. You know what I'm saying? Like until you pay all your own bills, you're not, you get to keep the ish on your adulthood-ish. You know what I'm saying? Until the mortgage is in your name. You're still kind of, it's ish, you know what I'm saying, okay? But, but this is for everybody, right? Like, because lest we only hear about the benefits of the elevated house and we ignore the sacrificial part as well, right? We, we don't pick and choose what it is. And, and I may have missed it, but I didn't read in this chapter a prescription or a demand for a certain amount of offerings to be offered to God. When I read it this week, it seemed like it was just a corporate choice that God's been so good to us. How can we not do this? How can we not uh, have this act of sacrifice to honor God? I was just struck by this sacrificial offering. You know, everybody wanted to give something to honor the house of the Lord. And friends, I believe sacrifice was and is an act of dedication. What we sacrifice for proves what we value. If you were getting ready for the summer and you wanted to sacrifice dessert so you could look better in a swimsuit, uh, you know, that, that you're, you're sacrificing because you're communicating some of the value. And I didn't mean that like bad. I'm just saying, my wife tried to get me to do that. And I was like, eh, I'm fine. You know, <laughs> you know, she's like, no, you're not. But uh, that's a personal story. Okay, so um, 
If I buy bigger shirts by the end of the summer, you'll know what's going on at the Ross house. Um, <laughs> what we sacrifice for communicates what we value. And the people, the whole nation said, we want to offer to God. It's an act of consecration. They said, we're publicly declaring that we belong to God and we love the place where his glory dwells. They did peace offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings. They did lots and lots and lots of offerings. <laughs> Deuteronomy 12, 11 says, you must bring everything I command you, burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, sacred offerings to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord chose for his name to be honored. There was so many offerings, they had to get a second location. Can you imagine if like halfway down your row, the bucket is full and you're like waving your hand to the usher, like we're going to need another bucket. (laughs) Now I get it, right? We got checks now and online giving. So it's not like to say, oh, we don't love the Lord. No one put anything in. I got a comment. Somebody's like, well, I always give online. It seems weird that I don't put anything in the bucket. I don't want anybody to think I'm not giving. I was like, well, they're probably not thinking about you anyway. You know, that's number one. But number two, it's fine. You know, we're not, nobody's judging each other on, oh, did they give something or not, right? Checks. You, how many people know you could write on one piece of paper a whole lot more than a stack of bills? But the point is that everybody did what they could. They, they did what they felt like was sacrificially honoring to God. And there was so much that they had to get another place to contain it. Sadly, I think many Christians in America, maybe the band should start coming out because I'm uh, a little bit over, but that's okay. Uh, many Christians in America have drifted toward a very selfish faith. When we read in scripture, faith was always sacrificial, but many in America have drifted toward a selfish faith. They're focused more well, how does it make me feel? What do I want out of this? What will my family get from it. And at some level, I do understand the need for all of us to evaluate the corporate activity. Uh, will it minister to the needs that I have? I get that. But I'm, but I'm just asking, of course, not about you, about people in the other service or <laughs> in another state going to a different church. When's the last time we really asked, God, God, what could I sacrifice? Uh, men and women around the world are clamoring for the opportunity to sacrifice for the good of others. Right? Churches around the world are desperate to send missionaries to new lands so that the gospel would be preached to those who've not heard. I'm so thankful that it's not our testimony here at Celebration, but uh, I was recently told again that less than 1% of all dollars given go, and churches in America go to bring the good news around the world where it's not currently preached. Less than 1% of the money given to missional causes goes to help people who've never heard. I don't know about you. Again, I started by saying, I'm thankful it's not the testimony of of this house here here at our church. But isn't that sad? I think that sounds like a selfish faith. That many are not willing to give to those who've never heard. But as I said, I'm thankful to be part of this faith family that's filled with people who are willing to sacrificially give to those in need in this local community and all around the world. Aren't you glad to be part of that kind of a church? Amen. Maybe you're here though and you're like, well, uh, if you've been coming a while, but you would say, you know, pastor, my commitment is still quite casual. This is a good time for you to become sacrificial. I'm not like telling you how to do it. I'm just saying like, do something. (laughs) What a shame to be in such a generous atmosphere and let things pass before you every week. There's a lot of needs in our community. There's a lot of needs in this church, around the world. 
let's just ask all of our, you know, let's all ask ourselves, you know, I, I have a selfish faith or sacrificial faith. It's a great opportunity. Why not make a spiritual sacrifice for the glory of the Lord? Why? Because Jesus gave his life for us. It was a sacrifice for him to come, leave heaven, die in our place. So why, why wouldn't we make sacrifice to offer our lives back to him? Our church has responded in such great generosity to the needs in our community and all around the world. Got another update this week of all that God's been doing. But I was also reminded that there's constantly more to do. People call every week. Here's a need. Here's an opportunity. What can we do? Met with a missionary. Normally, Pastor Vicente meets with a lot, but we've been having so many requests. And I, I was there, and so I was talking with one. I said, boy, you know, if I don't see this much raise, I'm going to have to leave the field, get a different job, say back up, go. And I said, well, we don't want you to stop doing what you're called to do, <laughs> right? If you quit doing that and you go work here, then these aren't going to hear. And so, so oh, you know, we'll, we'll help. We'll help. Would you say yes? I don't remember what day that was, Pastor Vicente. I was like, we'll just say yes. I think it was Thursday. Pastor Vicente helps me though because I just love saying yes anyway. So <laughs> we might be a bad combo because I'm like, I'll say yes. He's like, amen, let's do it. You know? <laughs> uh, but there's always needs. There's always people around always something to happen. Second Chronicles 7.12, the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place as a house of sacrifice. You know, we devote the month of November to leaning in together to the needs around us and around the globe and we'll do that again this fall. But I think we'd be wise to look around and listen each day and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal ways in which we can make a difference. There'll be ways in this house through the summer helping paint and I don't know they said brand or whatever the kids ministry we were building the you know new building four years ago costs kept going up and up and up and so we're like we're just gonna leave every wall gray kids can meet Jesus they don't have to feel like they're in heaven you know <laughs> they were like you know pastor most 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 kids rooms it feels like a kids room ours is like a gray wall okay so we're gonna work on that this summer this fall different things going on they told me oh pastor Josiah came to me he was like well, Pastor, it looks like the roof's falling apart above the offices. I was like, well, it's summertime. We can wait, you know. This is the original roof. It was a 20-year roof, but we got 30 years out of it. Praise the Lord. You know, so there, like, there's opportunities, right? There's, there's missionaries. I was meeting again with our district this last week, yesterday morning even. And uh, coming up in a few months, we're gonna welcome the missions leader from every nation around the world where they're sending an aging missionary to another country. We're gonna call it the Sending Summit. But the truth is so many of our African nations have leaders that really don't have the funds to make their way here to Minnesota for this time of commissioning. And so I said, you know what, we'd love to help. And they said, how much could you? I said, I don't know. I just, I just said, we'd like to help, settle down, you know? <laughs> so, so there's opportunities. If you're like, man, you know, we wanna help with something at the church, great, help with that. You wanna, you wanna help get a missionary here or a, a national from Africa here to be charged up, to be sent back out so they can send missionaries to other countries? Like, like there's opportunities to help is what I'm saying. Like, but whatever it is, let, let's just, here we come back to, it's a personal decision to exercise it corporately, right? And that's how we operate. Because I put there on the bottom, this is a place for God to dwell. I can't help, but there are times where I'll be here and somebody will pull in. 
Like, man, how'd you, how'd you find your way here? I don't know. I just turned it. Felt like I was supposed to. <laughs> Friends, that doesn't happen at Home Depot. <laughs> Husbands might lie and say they don't know how they ended up there, but... <laughs> Why? Because this is an elevated house. Amen. And there's something about the place where his glory dwells. So my, my heart's cry for you today. And I'm going to pray and the team's going to lead us in one song of consecration. Is that you'd increase your expectation for when you gather here in the house of the Lord. Pray in advance. Be prepared to help people walk through forgiveness. You know, sin's messy. There's fallout, there's hurt that's involved. But you know, I, we celebrate too. Let's also be prepared for provision. I know it sounds kind of weird. Econ economic report is weird and everything right now, but I just think God can send rain when there's a drought. Four people agree with the pastor on that today. Amen, you know. <laughs> but God can send rain when there's a drought. We're up to nine. God can send rain when there's a drought. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. Come on. It's a place where his glory dwells. And it's a place of sacrifice. Maybe more than an extra offering. Most of all, I would just like to close by saying, let's offer our lives. Because he wants so much more than a check. He, he wants our heart. And we say, God, you can have everything. You can have my calendar. You can have what you've trusted me with. You, it's yours. Because I offer my life back to you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now for each and every one that's gathered here in this elevated house, maybe watching online, joining us through the gift of technology. I'm asking that we would all increase our expectation, our anticipation of what you're gonna do when we gather here in the house of the Lord, when we gather here at this elevated house, when, when the people of God gather together. Yeah, it might be in homes or it might be in coffee shops, but especially when we gather here. But whenever we gather to encounter your presence, I pray, may your hand continue to be upon our lives. Father, we give you thanks for your hand being upon this house. It's been a place with a great testimony for decades of incredible amounts of salvation, people crossing over from death to life. It's become a place where there's a great testimony of resources, people and finances being sent out to go all around the world so the people who've never heard would hear and join us one day around the throne with every tribe, nation, and tongue declaring worthy is the lamb that was slain. God, your hand has been upon this house and we ask by your grace, would your hand of favor rest upon us yet to this day? I pray for each person that we would offer our lives back to you that we would live sacrificially because of all you've sacrificed for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we stand to our feet one time and sing this with the team? Just declare that he's been faithful to us. Recall those things in your life. The times he's come through time and time again. He's been faithful before. He'll be faithful still to come. for his promises today. Amen. Amen. How many people say, Pastor, next week I'll come with an elevated expectation for what God's going to do. Amen. Amen. Pastor David's going to come to give us our closing instructions. If you're a guest, I'm going to slide out to the atrium. I'd love to meet you on your way. Thanks for being here with us today. Pastor David, if you would.
We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.